So, <clears throat> God is strong. Um, what we believe about God changes everything. So, what do we really truly believe about God and who he is in our heart of hearts? Right down deep inside. What is our image of God? Of course, we see in the, the Bible, um, amazing, powerful God. But in our own personal lives, we, we see a sort of a, a taste of a powerful God, don't we? But we don't quite necessarily see the amazing things we see in the Bible. So what is that? What's that about? It's the fact that we live, we live in the physical world, and God mostly resides, God is a spirit. He resides in the heavens, and we're not in heaven yet at the moment, oh we? We're here on earth. And we're born into a, a physical world. We've got our five senses, and that's all we know. And then there's this sort of, there's this something else. There's, the, there's an unseen God. We can't grab hold of him with our five senses, but he, he's kind of there, but he's hard to grasp hold of. We get glimpses of, it, glimpses of him, don't we? And an example of that in the, in the Bible is the transfiguration. Jesus went up the mountain, he took three disciples with him, and then suddenly his glory was revealed, and that spirit realm was like opened up. And Moses and Elijah were there, but they're dead, except they're not dead, they have eternal life in heaven, and suddenly there they were revealed. And the disciples' reaction was they were absolutely stupefied, weren't they? They didn't know what to do with themselves because the awesome glory of God was revealed. So, but we don't see that every day. Actually, we live in this world, and this world is, is temporary. But the word clearly says that actually the spirit world is permanent and more real than this temporary world. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from which God, an eternal house in heaven, not built on human, by human hands. Just look at those two words there, tent and house. Look at the difference in that. Tent describes temporary accommodation, not such nice accommodation, but in eternity we will live in a house, which is greater and more real than where we live now. And he goes on to say, we did not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I found that last sentence so fascinating. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that interesting? Or what is temporary is going to pass away and eternity will come in and just, goodbye, take it away. So actually, the spirit realm is more real than the physical. So we don't see it where, where we are now. So how much influence does this unseen realm actually have on us? So let's explore that. So we live in a clinical world, don't we? A, a scientific world, we're highly educated, and you look at the textbooks in schools, and it, it's all, well, there was, there was a big bang, poof, and suddenly we're here. And I, I googled, I asked the expert Google, how many atheists are there in the world? And apparently there's half a billion atheists out there. That's quite a lot. That's quite a lot of people that just believe in just the physical. So we can see how cloaked the spiritual realm is. But of course, half a billion people is still the minority of planet Earth, isn't it? There are people out there 
there's, a, there's something in us. There's a, there's a sense that even though we can't see it, we can't grab a hold of it, there is something beyond what we, we see with our five senses. So to answer that question, how much influence does the spirit realm have on us? I'd say it has a massive, massive effect on us. So I'm just going to explore that now. Fact, the whole Bible is packed full of God interacting with his people from start to the end. And of course, obviously, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Who, Jesus is a spirit, essentially. He is God. But he came to earth in physical form to say, hello, I'm here. God's saying hello. Um, massive interaction. And I myself have, have an intimate relationship. I love Jesus Christ, but I've never met him here in the physical. But I have an intimate relationship with him. And I know that most people here would say exactly the same thing. You guys know Jesus Christ in your hearts. Um, right. Ephesians 6. Now, again, exploring how the, the, the spiritual affects us here on earth. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We, hear the Bible, we see the Bible here clearly stating the spiritual realms, realms have a big impact on us. So I think actually, rather than ask the question, how much does the spiritual realm affect us? Perhaps we should say, is there any part of the physical that isn't affected by the spirit? And again, I just want to remind you of, of the strap line. What we believe about God changes everything. And uh, the reason that's important is because God is in control of everything. So it's important that we understand our God. So I'm supposed to be talking about a strong God. What is, why am I talking about the spirit realm when I'm supposed to be talking about a strong God? The reason is, imagine if our God was distant on the other side of the universe and, and never interacted with us. Would it matter if he was a strong God or a weak God? It wouldn't, would it? Because we wouldn't know him. But the fact is our God is right here operating in our lives, in our, on our, in our world. So actually who our God is, is really, really important. So now focusing on the theme of God is strong, I'm going to look at, at a, it's a really interesting example of how you have a, a, a physical, worldly situation and God just comes in and goes, and changes it completely around. It's Second Chronicles 20. And there's this king um, called Jehoshaphat. And as you see in the opening sentence here, he's in big, big trouble. He's got several army, armies coming his way, and they're wedging war against him. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already at Hazion, Tamar. So the vast army is on its way. What is his reaction? He's alarmed. That's a good reaction, I think. Um, I think if, if I was the king at this point, I'd like maybe run away. I think that might be my reaction. But he doesn't do that. Oh, also, in, it says in another part of the passage that he's in a weak position in terms of his own army. 
So he goes and he, 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 he's resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek him from the, from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You notice that? They come from every town. So it's not just the king who's laying himself bare before God. It's the, the whole nation is like, we're in trouble. And they all have this heart of seeking God. And then a, a prophet speaks up. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and you will not have to fight the battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the, the deliverance the Lord will give you. Okay, so they prayed. God replied. And there's another decision to be made at this point. And that decision is, do we trust God? Do we believe that God can deal with this? There's a vast army on the way, massive, much bigger than them. Is God going to do what he says? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now this is really interesting. So they're marching out to battle, but at the same time, they are praising God. This is really important. They, they're not interested, well, I think they are interested in the physical. I'm sure they've got their battle gear on, but their focus is heavenly. Their focus is worshipping God. And the next line is fascinating. You see, as they begin to sing and praise, at that moment, the Lord sends ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who are invading Judah. Now listen to that. As they start to praise and worship, that is when God starts to move and act. Yeah. And you know, actually, God's putting something in my heart about this, about the, the fact that God moves in worship. And I, I think and on another occasion, I want to maybe bring a message about worship and how God moves in worship. That would be an interesting one. But that's not for today. So the Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy each other. So Jehoshaphat hasn't even turned up at this point. They're just some sort of massive confusion sent by God, and they're just fighting each other. And then finally Jehoshaphat gets out of bed and turns up. As the big, uh, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies. They didn't even have to lift a finger. God did all the work. When you think about this logically, it doesn't make physical, logical sense, does it? But the spirit realm, God took control. And then he did more than that, because you see, as we read on, he blesses them with stacks of plunder. And the last sentence there says, there was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. That's what you call a massive blessing of God. <clears throat> right, where am I? I got excited about that. So it was, that's an example of Jehoshaphat trusting God, obeying God, seeking God. We see clearly that 
see clearly that God just took so much control of that situation. So to kind of play on that strap line, what Jehoshaphat believed about God profoundly changed the situation. What if he didn't trust in God or believe in his God? He would have been annihilated. I'm going I'm to fast forward five chapters just to look at kind of an opposite mirror image of this. This is several kings in the future. And this king, um, he's in a different situation. He's trying to muster an army to go out and fight an enemy. So he's taking the offensive. <coughs> so the king called the people of Judah together. He then mustered those 20 years old or more, more and found that there were 300,000 men fit for military service. Okay, that's quite a lot. Great. Able to hand the spear and the sword shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel. So that's from the uh, sister nation, Israel, for 100 talents of silver. So he's hired, he's got 300,000, he's hired in some more muscle power, and then he's going to go off and take the army, take them, whoever he wants to take. But a man of God came to him and said, Your Majesty, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. So for some reason... Israel is in God's bad books, okay? So he's not going to bless them or anybody who uses them. Even if you go out and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy. And this is kind of why I like this passage. For God has the power to help or overthrow, doesn't he? So I've, I've just explored passages that look at how God can massively impact the outcome of, of, of a nation. But I want to look at the more personal level, and we can do that by looking at King David. Now, King David is one of the more well-known people in the Bible, and he's well-known because he was super, super blessed, wasn't he? Just about everything he turned his hand to, God just blessed him, blessed him, blessed him. Why? Why was he blessed? He was blessed because he loved his God and he obeyed his God. He knew his God. He trusted his God. You see throughout, you read the, the life of David and you just see from start to finish, he trusts in his God. And as a result of that, he is massively blessed. Um, I just tried to find a scripture that kind of summed up his relationship with God. You can't really do that, but here's just a quick one. And this is, this is David praying to God. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Can you see the, the depth of heart in there? Crying out to his God, God, I give you everything. I trust you. Search me. In fact, David um, was so blessed by God and the relationship was so good that God said, I will bless you all your future generations. And God had to keep that promise. And some of those future generations were a bit naughty. And actually God was like, oh man, you lot, really, you're bad. But he held on to his promise that he gave to David because he loved it. God loved David so much. And we see repeatedly passages like this. However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. David was so blessed 
that that blessing continued on for generation and generation and generation until we got to Jesus, of course. So just to sum up, just in case you weren't keeping up, do you want to sum up where I've come from? The spirit realm has a big effect on us. It has a big effect on big things like nations, and it has a big effect on the individual. So moving forward, what does that look like to, our, to ourselves? I hope you see that knowing God is so important. It's so important. We're trapped in this, with this physical world, aren't we? Um, but our relationship with an unseen God can help or it can hinder if we have a bad relationship with him. And that's what I want to look at now, looking at how our relationship with God um, might be distorted. Um, a way to illustrate that, I'm sure many of you have maybe spoken to friends and family about coming to church, and you say, come to church, and they're like, they don't really want to, because their perception of church is it's really dull, it's really boring. I don't think how church is portrayed on TV particularly helps, does it? It does come across as boring. But if they, don't, if they come to church, they don't find out the truth that we have excited in things like drums and guitars and amazing speakers, of course. <laughs> Um, but I just use that as an illustration that I think our image of God, our mindset of God, can be distorted as well. And of course, of course it's distorted because we can't grasp God. He's too big for us to get hold of. But there are distortions that, that can, can upset things and cause... What's the word I want to use? Well, here we go. I've got a slide for it. We can hold back the mighty power of God because of our misunderstanding of him. So I'm going to invite um, someone to come up and be interviewed. I need the, thank you. I prepared this in advance. So one of the things I want to point out that things that um, can distort us is our image of God is that we might think that God, come on up, I'm not interviewing the mum. One of the things that can distort our image of God and our relationship with God is that we might think that God is disappointed in us. And that's a really big one, isn't it? So many people say, oh, I'm not good enough for God. Or what about... I feel like I'm being outstaged here. <laughs> <laughs> what about that big sin? God couldn't possibly forgive me for that big sin. So I'm just going to interview um, this little girl. I've got some questions for you. So, Hello. You seem quite new around here. I haven't seen you around here too often, too much. Um, can you tell me, please, your name? This is kind of for these guys. And where you come from, please. Okay, it appears she doesn't speak. I have to say, for me, I'm a little bit disappointed. I thought she'd have a bit more words. Okay, Mum, do you think you could get her to walk around the stage for us? Uh, I can try. Yeah, does she... Can you, can, you, can you walk, please? <laughs> oh. It's cruel, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm being so nasty, aren't I? Mum, I would imagine that you're, you're quite disappointed that your child can't do even basic things. Are, are you disappointed? No, not at all. Oh, okay, fine. Um, I guess she's skilled in some ways. Is she skilled at maybe filling nappies? Yes. <laughs> 
I, th I thought she might. So, um, kind of reversing it here. Does she does she bring you joy? How much joy does she bring you? All, all the joy. She's great. She's cute. <laughs> She's we we fine. we prepped here, and she did. Mum did say, well, you know, there's other occasions when there isn't joy. <laughs> But for the purposes of this interview, <laughs> she brings you great joy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how much do you love her? With my whole heart. She's my whole world. Fantastic. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> I hope you see that the point of that illustration. We are God's children. We are God's children. He is not disappointed with us. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're sinful. That's why he sent Jesus. We don't have to say, we're not good enough for you, God, because that's who he made us to be. And we're just not capable of who we want to be capable of sometimes, very often, every time. Okay, so that, that was one illustration. We can be disappointed. Uh, we, can, we think we can be disappointing to God or we're not good enough for God. Another illustration of how our image of God might be distorted, um, we might think that God is disinterested in us. And we've just looked at the Bible, we, we know that God is not disinterested in humanity. But what about on a personal level? Maybe he's disinterested in me. But going back to King David, I said he was, had an awesome relationship from start to beginning with God, but he had a hard life. And sometimes he felt rock bottom. I just want to read a, a psalm where he's clearly feeling very rock bottom. And he says, this is David praying to his God. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink into the mighty depths where there is no foothold. I come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Wow, there's a, there is a prayer of somebody who's just feeling forgotten by God. Where is my God? That's David. Life is not supposed to be a bed of roses. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible says, hey, it's going to be plain sailing from now. That's not the way it works. So if God is distant, that's life. That's the way it is sometimes. And I'm not denying that's, that's not tough. It's really tough when God is, feels distant. It doesn't change who God is. He's still a mighty strong God. And the last um, distortion mindset that I want to just challenge is the one surrounding super grace. That grace is everything and we can do what we like and God is my mate. Hi God, how are you? No, that is not who good is. And having that belief system, all that does is it disempowers God. It belittles God. It brings God down to our level. Isaiah 6, when he met God, he went into the throne room, throne room. And when he met God, he said, Woe to me, I cried. He cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He is just like, Whoa. God, you are so awesome. On Judgment Day, we don't get to question God. He gets to question us. God does not debate moral matters with mortal man. It was him 
that wrote the book. He does not take surveys. He's not interested in popular opinion. If you want to see what happens when man challenges God, read the book of Job. Now, that's particularly the end of the book of Job. God puts man in his place. God is God. Man is man. So, I've just kind of brought to you typical distortions that we bring um, that can disempower God. So, like disappointment, um, God is distant, God is my mate, and this, that's just free. There's so many more mindsets that we might have that bring God down to a smaller level than who he is. I googled 100 names of God. Now I've removed the slide. Actually, I, was, I wasn't going to. I've decided not to take this out, but I'm putting it back in. I did have a slide of 100 names of God. Guess what? You couldn't read them anyway because they were so tiny. Um, and there's more than 100 names of God, and there's not a name in there that says he's a weak God. There are names that proclaim his power, his majesty. I've picked out a few just to to read out over us. Almighty. Author and perfecter of our faith. Bread of life. <coughs> bridegroom. Comforter. Everlasting father. Friend of sinners. Not mate of sinners. Friend of sinners. Light of the world. Lord of lords. Mighty God. Redeemer. Truth. God is, God is for us. He is positive. He is a strong Mighty God. He created the universe. I feel like I've missed something here. I'm just checking. No, okay. Um, oh, there it is, you see. I'm just getting out of synchronization. There's the 100 names of God. See, they're too small to read, aren't they? Right, John 8. What I'm trying to talk about here is truth and mindsets. Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what we're talking about today, about being set free. About being set free from lies. Um, the opposite of truth is lie. And what, what do lies do, do to us? They bind us up, they hold us back, they blind us, and the nature of a lie is it's hidden. We don't know it's a lie until it's revealed. And we can be carrying a mindset that's distorted, or if you like, you can call that a lie. And that lie... Distortion of God holds us back from that powerful God and holds us back from him working in our lives. I'm just scanning through. There we go. I'm getting a little bit, a little bit lost. I, wanna, I really want to deliver this correctly. <coughs> so, um, Hebrews 11. This is talking about faith. Faith in an unseen God. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it goes on to say, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. What we believe about God changes everything. What we believe about God changes everything. And if we have a distortion of the size of God, we start to preach. It's human nature. We try to put him into a box so we can understand him. And that box is inevitably smaller than, than God. And all that does is belittle God. And I'm, what I'm trying to get across is that it's okay to give everything to God. It's okay to trust God 100%. And we can limit God by the size of our yes. And we're talking about, we're talking about heart stuff here, aren't we? And it's, it's about how much we say yes to God. And it's about different areas within our lives. Do we release our finances to him, etc.? Do we leave our, release our love life, our relationships, etc., etc.? There's so many different facets to our life. And the more we release to God, and the volume of which we release ourselves to God, the more freedom that we get. And there's a massive truth in that. One of the things that I think is really important about... Um, understanding the truth of who God is, is to read the Bible. I might have mentioned this before. <laughs> Reading the Bible is so important because we're surrounded by a distorted world. But the Bible is truth, isn't it? And the more truth that we absorb, the less distorted our image of God is. So it's just so invi- vital that we just, we just dwell in the, in, the, in the Word and dwell in God. I'm going to ask the band to come back now. And I'm just going to invite you guys to um, just to say yes to God. Um, And I, I think as we worship, and what I want to pray for is a revelation of God. As we saw in that, that army that, um, that marched out, we saw that God moved in the worship. We saw that the worship broke through into, into the spiritual realm. So we're lacking somebody, aren't we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll try to keep talking a bit longer. Shall we stand? I just want to invite I just want to invite you to say yes to God and to trust God to absolutely trust God with everything as I said earlier I have an intimate relationship with God and the more I've surrendered to God the more blessings I've got there is a, there is a you can't you can't give enough to God you cannot give enough to God He's arrived. That's good, isn't it? (laughs) So, um, let's say yes to God. Let's say yes to God in 
the worship, let's say yes to God. And this is why I've, um, I've asked that the service be slightly unbalanced, that we'd have a longer worship session now, that we have time just to push into that, push into that worship and push into the yes of God. And as we, uh, as we start, <laughs> um, if you really, 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 really want to give your yes to God, I'd invite you to come down the front as well and we can pray for you. I think there's, there's a greater power in saying yes when you walk forwards. There's a great power in that. Okay, let's, uh, let's do it. Well, good timing. <laughs>